Hello, and welcome to the 10th Annual Bevy Awards, a decade of double plays and double entendres, presented by the Bird's Eye View Podcast. With appearances by Utah Street Report, Roar from 34, Baltimore Sports Today, The Verge, Ryan Blake from All the Things. This is not a show, it's just that he does a number of things. The Baseball Widows. Full Count Chaos. OBP Apparel. Your hosts, Jake English and Scott Magnus. Thank you, Jovial J, and welcome to the 2022 Bevies, a show that has been 10 years in the making. Yes, 10 years ago, we had the idea to put together a mid-season award show. And we haven't had an original idea since. That's right. In a world when you're allowed to be consistent and good, we didn't want to overachieve. But rather than navel-gazing, ooh, lint, we should turn our attention to the Baltimore Orioles 2022 season. Do we have to? No, this is not episode one. There is actually hope that this team might be worth watching for the rest of the season. It's true. Unlike us, the Orioles have indeed overachieved this season and entered the All-Star break at 500. Just a few months ago, that would have been an unbelievable sentence. But even with a team that is exceeding expectations, Orioles fans are are always going to find something to complain about. And so for my portion of our traditional big musical number to open the show, I want to address an issue that has been the talk of the town here in Baltimore this season. Dingers. 
this is something that we've been discussing kind of informally um, since Sig and, and I and Brandon Hyde and this group got here. Um, and uh, you know, those discussions just kind of picked up and we are very hopeful about what the, uh, the effects will be. Bringing this park towards neutrality, we still expect that this will remain uh, somewhat of a hitter's park. And we like that about Camden Yards, but the conditions here have been very extreme towards the very most extreme in the league. And part of having a winning program is the ability to recruit free agent pitchers. And that has been a historical challenge for this franchise. There's just no way around that. So I do think it's going to help going forward. I think, uh, you know, the proof will be in the pudding as the, as the games uh, get played here uh, over the next couple of years. And, you know, we are uh, tasked with uh, taking a fresh look at the entire organization. And, and, you know, that's something that has been an impediment here. And it's something that um, I think this will move towards, towards helping us in, in that regard. Fans alone, though, Jake, haven't been the only one that have been, we'll call it detrimental to the Orioles' cause. Um, we'll, we'll call it a known beat writer from the Baltimore area has uh, once again come back and criticized it. And frankly, I think we're all kind of tired of it. So consider this an ode and a memoriam, as it were, um, to the aspect of uh, one individual that we shall not talk about any further. We don't talk about Buster, no, no, no. We don't talk about Buster, but it was Ellie's debut day. We were getting ready and there wasn't a frown inside. Buster logs in with a disgruntled spin. You tell him the story, am I? Bruno says, what about Mucina? In doing so, he floods my timeline. Mart his debut day. We don't talk about Buster. No, no, no. We don't talk about Buster. To ignore all of the cynicism rumbling, I can always hear him mumbling and whining. I associate him with the sound of crying old men. Wah, wah, wah. It's an odd choice with a voice so spoiling. Always left me and the fan base boiling. Grappling with projections we just couldn't understand. Do you understand? Blue check mark. Bristol financially backed. When he gives remarks, it's logic is lacked. Yet he sees your team snuffs out your dreams. Oh, oh. We don't talk about Buster. No, no, no. We don't talk about Buster. Well, Jake, like usual, we're off to an absurd and rocky start. Let's hand things over to Jovial J and he'll uh, get the show moving in the right direction. For the tenth time, it is my distinct pleasure to welcome to the stage Derek Arnold of Utah Street Report. Greetings and salutations, my fellow suddenly optimistic and joyful members of Birdland. 
It's a pleasure to once again be back presenting a bevy award, so thank you, Jake and Scott, for the opportunity. First things first, as always, my drink of the week is a fine Michter's bourbon, which I am enjoying immensely despite the fact that the Orioles' 10-game winning streak just ended. Ten in a row is worth a celebration, I think. Cheers. Now to the bevy. We are unretiring one of our former awards this year, the, the Forgotten Man this was an award from a previous era of Orioles baseball, one that was fun and that featured moments you actually wanted to remember. So unlike the past few seasons, when we've wanted to forget pretty much every game, player, and event from the O's that summer, we are instead, thankfully, back at a place where we are creating welcome and enjoyable memories. Mixed in with those memories of amazing plays, clutch hits, big performances, and players coming into their own in orange and black are the other guys. Guys who, when you reminisce upon this unexpectedly happy season of Orioles baseball, you'll think to yourself, who? Previous winners, to give you an example, Alex Burnett, Ramon Ramirez, Cesar Cabral, Francisco Pena, David Washington, and Angel Villalma. Two of those guys were on Orioles playoff teams. I know, it's true. Maybe, just maybe, one of those guys will also have played on an eventual Orioles playoff team. Instead of getting ahead of ourselves, though, let's just get to this year's nominees. Chris Owings, Logan Allen, Anthony Bemboom, and Rico Garcia. All of those players have suited up for the 2022 Birds, believe it or not. We had a close vote this year, but by a margin of 42% to 37%, your 2022 Forgotten Man is Logan Allen. Congratulations, Logan. We hardly knew ye. Please welcome Zach Wilt of Baltimore Sports today. Hey, this is Zach Wilt. I host a podcast called Baltimore Sports Today, which used to be a daily podcast about all things Baltimore sports, and now... We pretty much do an annual MLB prediction show. I also used to write about the Orioles for BaltimoreSportsReport.com, but regardless of all of that, I am thrilled to be here for the 10th annual Bevy Awards and to hand out the Bevy for the best walk-off victory of the Orioles' 10-game winning streak. That's right. Our Baltimore Orioles won 10 consecutive games from July 3rd to July 13th. And they featured three walk-off wins. During that time, the Orioles went from nine games under 500 to a game over. The Orioles started this streak with a 3-1 win over the Twins after two heartbreaking walk-off losses the previous two nights. Then they put together a few walk-off wins of their own. It started on Monday, July 4th. In the bottom of the ninth, Adley Rushman doubles to deep right field to score Ryan McKenna and tie the game at six to set up an extra inning win. In extras, Jorge Mateo is hit by a pitch to drive in Austin Hayes and secure the walk-off victory. The very next night, Tuesday, July 5th, down to their last out, Rugnit Odor homers to deep right center to tie the game at 9 and set up Cedric Mullins to drive in the game winner in the bottom of the 10th, an RBI double that brought home Ryan McKenna. And then the third walk-off victory, Friday, July 8th, the Orioles enter the bottom of the 9th, trailing the Angels 4-2, down to their last strike, Odor starts things off with a single to center. Then Rushman drives him in with a double to deep right center, cut the Angels' lead to one. 
Cedric Mullins then ties the game with an RBI single, and then Trey Mancini delivers the game winner, an RBI single to left that scores Cedric Mullins. So three walk-off victories over that 10-game winning streak, and the winner for the best walk-off victory is... Friday, July 8th. Yeah, it's got to be Friday, July 8th. The drama of that comeback against the Angels trailing 4-2 down to their last strike. What a what a win. What a win. And uh, just peak Orioles magic in that 10-game winning streak. Absolutely love that one. Well, 10-game winning streak on the 10th annual Bevy Awards. Congratulations to the Birds. And congrats to Jake and Scott on a decade of pods about the Orioles. Making his sixth appearance on the Bevies, please welcome Ryan Blake. Hey there, Orioles fans. I'm Ryan Blake, host of the long forgotten but hopefully soon returning Give That Fan a Podcast on UtahStreetReport.com, co host of Oh What a Show on the Sideline Sports Network with John Shearer and Paul Valley, and the guy behind the Orioles Fan Problems Twitter account. So if you don't know me from any of my other projects, chances are. You've seen me on Twitter if you're active in that, that social media realm. Before I get into my award, I want to congratulate the incomparable Scott Magnus and Jake English. Ten years of the Bevy Awards. It's commendable that you guys have made it this far. I couldn't keep my podcast going for more than a year. So congratulations on ten years, and thank you for having me back. Every year, it's an honor and a privilege. I appreciate you guys reaching out to me once again. I'll be giving out this year the Step Right Up Award given to the player who would most throw off a carnival barker if he were to go up and guess their height, weight, age, etc. Some guys on the roster, I don't believe they're listed height and weight, so those guys will be the nominees. First, we have Austin Hayes. He's listed at 6 feet tall. I think that's a little generous. He looks to be more along the lines of 5'10", 5'11". He doesn't really tower over the shorter guys on the team. Uh, so he's our first nominee. Rugnet Odor is listed at 5'11". He looks a little bit closer to Cedric Mullins to me. Cedric Mullins is listed at 5'8", which I believe because I've stood directly next to Cedric Mullins, uh, and he and I'm 5'8". So uh, I think Rugnet Odor is closer to that than 5'11". Uh, Felix Bautista on the opposite side, he is listed shorter than he looks. He's listed at 6'5", 190 pounds. If you look at him, you can tell that's wrong. And last but not least, new Orioles draftee, first overall pick, Jackson Holiday. Apparently, he's 18 years old. If you look at his face, he looks 12, maybe, maybe a little younger than that even. Uh, so those are our four nominees. And obviously, I think our winner is Felix Bautista. Like I mentioned, six foot five, 190 is his listed height and weight. Uh, which comes from, I believe, when he was first signed as a 16, 17-year-old. Um, he spent the last decade in the minor leagues, has grown a little bit since then. Uh, I know the Bowie game notes last year had him listed at six foot eight, 270 pounds, which looks far more realistic. And so Felix Bautista is our winner. Thanks again to Scott and Jake for having me back on the Bevy Awards. Congratulations on 10 years. This Orioles team's hot. Let's have some fun. Let's keep riding the momentum. See you guys at Camden Yards in the second half. Scott, I'd like to point out the obvious. Winning fixes everything. One second. Just checking my math here. Yep. That seems to calculate out correctly. The Orioles went on an absolute tear in July, becoming one of the most exciting teams in baseball to watch for a couple of weeks. 
and putting Orioles fans in an unusual position, not being able to be miserable about everything. Just most things. That's right. Now, that's not to see that, say that everything has been great, but winning fixes an awful lot. And so we deal with this recency bias, right? Over the last, we'll call it two-ish weeks, the Orioles have been playing really exciting baseball. And, uh, you know, people have been happier. The sun has been shining brighter. Food tastes a little bit better. And I think that we should acknowledge the fact that there were some things at the beginning of the season and some things that continue to exist that are maybe not so great. And so, Scott, I want to cast your memory back all the way to the beginning of this season, which, oh, by the way, started late because this season was delayed because of the first labor stoppage in Major League Baseball since 1994. And I got to be honest, I don't consider a lot of that labor dispute to be settled at this point. I think it's just detente. I'm about to say international draft is still kind of being under negotiation at this given point. But yes, it does feel like an eternity ago that we were talking about opening day being delayed um, slightly. And uh, that is a a distant memory um, at this moment. Do do you think it, how would it be, you know, if we were watching, you know, a, a terrible, terrible, terrible team? Do you think some of the emotional baggage from the offseason would continue directly on into our experiencing of the baseball team? And and do you think that, you know, winning kind of puts a, a break there for us? I mean, I frankly think that the Major League Baseball and the Orioles organization did us a disservice by not delaying the season until July so that we could be first place right now for the for the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, you know, and it comes down to we are entering into All-Star Week, as it were. We are going to be putting this episode out during this time for All-Star Week being held in Los Angeles. And get look, I get it. Los Angeles is a great premier city, one of the top three cities in the United States. But the fact of the matter is the city of Baltimore has not hosted an All-Star game in since 1993 because, let's be frank, MLB is petty. Um, and uh, they don't want to reward the Orioles with any slightly extra incentives, as it were. And it's crap. We've talked about it here on this program a lot. The fact that, you know, Camden Yards is one of the jewels of Major League Baseball. It should absolutely have held another All-Star game uh, by now. The Major League Baseball organization is, is simply finding excuses after excuses, you know, and we think about some of the ways that this... Uh, soured relationship between major league baseball and the orioles continues to exist the all-star game is one of the more flagrant of them but you know the whole mass and dispute going on with uh major league baseball not being a neutral uh, participant with that something i was thinking about recently scott is this is that dispute also being played out through the business of minor league baseball and i ask you because of this it just occurred to me this uh, this past week that Frederick was one of the teams removed by Major League Baseball as an affiliated team. And that means that a connection between the city of Frederick, the residents of the city of Frederick, and Baltimore has been severed, leaving the door open to what is actually a, a Washington exurb to build stronger ties with the nationals rather than funneling that money to baltimore i think we know enough here where we can say the major league baseball um will continue to ignore the minors and continue to ignore um in essence the uh the labor um issues that they have to see 
even though they are now being forced to basically pay $185 million. And uh, the Orioles organization, at least, is going out and now um, saying that they will include Frederick in future organizational campaigns going forward. That doesn't mean they're a minor league team, but they're an answer in sponsoring the Frederick Keys going forward. But the Frederick Keys continue to be in limbo state, as it were. Um, but at least the Orioles are recognizing the the heralded history between both organizations is the best way to put it. Um, you know, there's other things that are going on too. We are still doing this ghost runner BS aspect um, in, in extra innings. And I just don't see any benefit towards it. I mean, it just, it just kind of sullies the game within the extra inning standpoint. And as much as I thought I would come to embrace it and love it, it's just, it, it's, it's an abomination. It's the best way to put it. So, um, Let's, you know, pull, pull out the proton packs. Um, let's not cross the streams. And uh, let's go ahead and get rid of the ghost uh, on second base. I also think it's really funny to listen to the announcers use the phrase ghost runner. Yeah. Like, I know that we do that derisively, uh, but it's gotten to the point where it is now like a a used phrase in Major League Baseball. You know, you hear it on the broadcast. It just cracks me up. Yeah, it's, it's, I will, it's trash. I will say the, the ghost runner rule is absolute garbage absolute but the one re- not redeeming the one uh, great relief to me is that that run is not counted as an earned run i've been thinking about that every time sure. a run scores that has got to make the pitchers insane insane yeah um you know another one that you've talked about before jake is attendance attendance has been um pretty abysmal for the baltimore Orioles so far this entire season uh, and, and outside of giving away a floppy hat or a Hawaiian shirt, uh, attendance continues to be at the bottom of the league. Now, yes, it does seem like Baltimore Orioles fans are going to be flocking out in droves um, when the Orioles return back into town uh, this upcoming weekend against the New York Yankees. But uh, we will have to see if those numbers actually hold true and see how long the intention remains um, on the Baltimore Orioles. But so far this season, even with some really great play, and I'm talking about comeback victories, um, Baltimore hasn't caught the fever as of yet in the stands. Um, they may be talking about it on social media, but your your money speaks is the best way to put it. And this is consistent behavior. I mean, think back to the Buckle Up Birds. This fan base was not filling the stadium even into August and September of that season. Mm-hmm. We were all waiting for the other shoe to drop. The team was putting out you know, crazy ticket packages and and pricing. We had 1992 ticket pricing going into September. Um, I actually remember getting 1992 ticket pricing for the Manny Machado Rays game where he basically turned around and threw it back to third base. Um, so even while the Orioles were in playoff contention, as it were, in September in 2012, you still had to use 1992 ticket pricing to get fans back into the stadium. And think about how often you have heard the phrase, oh, I just want them to play competitive ball. Yep. If they would just play competitive ball, blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, at this point, and again, it's been a really great month, but the Orioles are winning as many games as they lose. Yes, I, I, I would agree. And that means that fans have every opportunity to go out and see the team win in exciting fashion Yep. as they do, as they don't. And that that is... Absolutely a change. And uh, you're right. This is something that, that the Baltimore fans are not responding to. Yeah. And maybe part of that is 
you know, due to the Orioles organization, you know, whether you want to blame COVID or other instances of it, the Orioles are limiting a lot of kind of public relations during the off season, specifically fan fest and not having replaced it with any kind of meaningful fan experience has potentially hampered them to a certain regard. Now I'm not saying fan fest is the end all be all, but it's a very easy way to get your season ticket holders continuously coming back every season and continually get that aspect of a 15,000, you know, you know, season, you know, season fan aspect coming back into the stadium on a daily basis. Um, and I think part of it was they had nothing to present at FanFest, so why present anything at all? Um, but certainly that's something that, you know, if we're looking at everything, hasn't been a great experience to date. Now, you might be asking yourself, guys, why are we having this conversation? Why are you reminding us of things that aren't great? Yeah. Bird's eye view, why are you being so negative here? The thing is, is that, First of all, I'm not ashamed to say that I have been gleefully talking about the wins over the past few weeks and months. But the other thing I'd like to point out is that the organization can still have warts. Baseball can still be imperfect, and yet we can still love it and have a great experience. When we say, you know, the cliche that winning fixes everything, it really is a good uh, we'll call it mixer for the cocktail that is the business of baseball. So here's hoping that the winning continues because the game will forever continue to be imperfect. Uh, but for the last month or so, been pretty good. Absolutely. Now introducing Nathan Andrews from Full Count Chaos. Hey folks, Nathan here from Full Count Chaos Podcast to announce the nominees for the Orioles player with the most swagger in 2022. Now, you can't have sports without a little swagger to complement the excitement we watch every day of the best of the best fighting every day to be better than the best. These players always put on a show for their fans and sometimes a little swagger tickles the funny bone as we enjoy the show. Now, before I get started, of course, I want to thank the guys over at Bird's Eye View for inviting me back to participate in the 10th Annual Bevy Awards. Congratulations, guys. That's awesome. Now, the past few seasons I'd be invited to do this, I'd be handing out an award for some awful play or terrible decision by the manager or something pertaining to Chris Davis. God bless that man. But this season, this season right here in 2022, we're having fun watching demos, play some baseball, which also helps me drift away from feeling like I need to hand out a garbage award for a garbage team. Kind of harsh, but that's sports for you. So let's get down to it. The nominees for the player with the most swagger. Ryan Mountcastle for always having that swagger mode after putting on that home run chain and posing for the camera. Odor for having one of the smoothest bat flips in all of baseball. Bautista for throwing 100 plus heat, striking out guys and just strolling back to the dugout like it's just another day on the job. Austin Hayes for batting without gloves, throwing 97 heat from left field and always acting like he's been there trotting around the bases after a home run. All right, now the award for the player with the most swagger in 2022 goes to... Odor! Congratulations, Odor. He actually just texted me about 20 minutes ago, said unfortunately he won't be here to accept the award, but it means a lot to him, and he appreciates that. And also, he will always be remembered for throwing a right hook across Jose Bautista's face. How can we not give him an award for that? So congratulations, Odor. All right, guys, I'm out of here. Till next time, see you.
presenting a bevy. Please welcome Jake English. You know, Scott, for one of our bevies, each year I feel like we talk about a player we'd like to put on an ice flow, break up the ice, and just push and let that player drift away into the icy sea. That's like the Abado Jimenez like Memorial Award. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But, Scott, that's a little dated. You know, it's 2022. We need to progress as a podcast. We need to grow as people, you and I. I feel like Like this, this country, right? I feel like this whole <laughs> ice flow thing is problematic. Yeah. And so I think that we need to give it a new name. Yep. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to, my suggestion mm -hmm. is going to be the just move to Nashville already award, meaning the player we would like, whether the team does or not, to go to Nashville immediately. All right. So this award is being sponsored by Roar from 34, Matt Taylor. Nice talking to you. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's talk about who would rather just move to Nashville already. I got to be honest. It's been easier in past seasons. Yes. In past seasons, it's been very easy to pick a player that you would like to just fire into the sun, as you are so fond of saying. And so we do have some candidates, and we'll go ahead and talk about who our winner is. First, I'm going to start with the obvious, which is Travis Lakin Sr. Travis Lakin Sr. is technically still on the club. He's on the uh, 60 day IL after some DFA business. Travis Lakins does not deserve to be on this major league roster and infuriates me every time I see him. Uh, I would like him to just move to Nashville already. Yeah, this is definitely one that um, has a historical holdover piece in terms of um, the Ice Wheel Award, the move to Nashville, or the um, Throw into the Sun Award. Uh, another one that um, continues to come up would be Matt Harvey. I think he came up as of last year as well in terms of not being able to get past the fourth inning. Um, and Matt Harvey still has a tendency to linger in the minors right now. Um, he seems to be doing okay in the minors. Um, and the question really is, what are the Orioles going to do with him? Um, are we going to see a, a Matt Harvey in the majors at some point in the second half of the year? And, you know, off-season, off-the-field distractions aside, Matt Harvey is also a player that this team had a role for in the past. And with the development of some of its pitching, I'm not sure that there necessarily is a whole lot of room for Matt Harvey in a way that doesn't detract from some of the other arms we'd like to see. Sure, I would agree with that as well. I'm also going to point some attention to Yusniel Diaz. And Stanley. Oh, one second. My hamstring. It just went off. My bad. My leg. Ah. Stick with me in this one. I think that Diaz, while the, it's important to have some value come back from that Manny Machado trade, is getting to the point where he is in the way of other prospects I'd really like to see on the precipice of the majors. I think that his time as a next big thing, not the next big thing, but a next big thing is over. And at this point, I think you should just move to Nashville already. Yeah. You don't want to be talking about 2018 trades. We want to be talking about now, the future, as it were, um, as opposed to reminiscing and uh, being in sorrow about 2018 once again. Uh, and, and then the final one would be Kyle Bradish is one that kind of makes this list. Um, who, again, came up um, through the kind of that Dylan Bundy trade um, and, you know, did okay to begin with, but never was able to really establish himself kind of going forward. 
You know, he is currently in AAA Norfolk. He's doing okay, as, as it were. But the question is, does Kyle Bradish really have a role going forward in the Baltimore Orioles, or does he just need to move to Nashville already um, and clear the way um, for current talent and upcoming talent um, that is going to be joining the Orioles over the next you know few weeks, months, and years to come? Absolutely. And the winner. Let me just get this envelope here, and I will open it up, and we will find out the winner of the Just Moved to Nashville Already Award is... Oh. Oh. In an upset, it... No, it's Travis Lincoln Sr. Yes, it has to be Travis Lincoln Sr. Travis Lincoln Sr., enjoy Nashville. Honestly, just enjoy anywhere. We don't even want you in the organization at this point. Just go find a place and, uh, you know, bury yourself in a hole. Please welcome to the bevy stage the most tolerant women in baseball, Carrie Magnus and Sarah English, the Baseball Widows. Hello, Birdland. This is the Baseball Widows. We are here with our annual Bevy Award. Uh, our award this year is for the Oriole we'd most like to see return by the trade deadline of August 1st. All right. So baseball has been really fun to watch the past couple of weeks. It sure has. And it kind of, hear me out for my first nominee, it kind of reminds me back in the days when Chris Davis was on the home run streak. Now, I know there's a lot of controversy and there's a lot and people have a lot of opinions about Davis. Many feels. A lot of feels. But think back before all that, when he was just hitting dong after dong. How fun was baseball to watch then? Yes. Gotcha. So my first nominee is pre-scandal Chris Davis. Love it. Excellent choice. All right. My first nominee is going to be my love, Brian Roberts. Oh, I thought it was going to be a different love. No. I mean, I, I have a couple. Um, I'm feeling Brian Roberts because, and this is pre, I think I might go play for the Yankees, Brian Roberts, come on, and I'm going to be injured every time I blink Brian Roberts. But, you know, original B-Rob, when he was fantastic, I feel like his bat was always really clutch, and he was great defensively. Fair, fair. All right, my next nominee is a pitcher, because... Let's be real. We can always use a strong pitcher. Mm -hmm. And who better when you're thinking about former Orioles that to nominate than Jim Palmer? I mean, not only was he a great pitcher, he looked really good in those jockeys. And we, we could bring that back. Scott also really loves him. Scott really, really loves him. <laughs> All right. And my final uh, nominee is Jay. Jay Hardy. <laughs> That's the love I thought you were going to go with the first That's, time. You know, I saved the best for last. <laughs> and I picked J.J. Hardy, similar to my choices or my reasons for B-Rob, is just that he was super clutch. I love the energy he brought to the team, and I feel like they've got a lot of that going now. I think he would fit right in, but really be a great leader for the team as well. So, and also, you know, I just really loved him. I'm a little shocked you didn't put Brady on the list, because isn't he also one of your loves? I mean, he was kind of the original. I was in elementary school, and I loved Brady. But I was going slightly newer. You know, the young people listening might know who these guys are. I gotcha. So, would you like to reveal the winner for our bevy? I would love to. And the winner is... J.J. Hardy. Yay! Please welcome Matt Taylor of The Roar from 34. 
Greetings, Birdland. It's Matt Taylor of Roar from 34. I want to start by thanking Jake and Scott for having me on the bevies again this year. Now, as they know, I would have done it for free, but I really do appreciate their generous award show swag bag. Lots of goodies in there. I'm especially partial to the 2019 Orioles Warning Track Power Chain. It's a keeper. I'm fired up. Now, listen, I'm not going to beat a dead horse during my bevy's appearance, so you're not going to hear any Will Smith, Chris Rock jokes or any other retread like that. Instead, let's talk about all-time Orioles players to wear the number 35. Wink. Wink. So first off, we have Mike Mucina, the Moose. He pitched a lot of great ones in Baltimore. He was a legend who later took his talents to the Bronx to pitch for the New York Yankees. He now wears a logoless cap in Cooperstown that practically screams, I love Baltimore. Please retire my number there. Next, we have Daniel Cabrera, the 6'7 righty who always felt like he was one outing away from figuring it all out on the mound. Then there's Brad Burgesson. He always felt like he was one Masson commercial away from a career-ending injury. And finally, we have Buster Narum. He was only with the Orioles for one season in 1963, and frankly, he made his mark more at the plate than he did on the mound. He homered in his lone at bat to finish one-for-one one career with a home run for the Orioles. That was an upper-deck shot at Tiger Stadium. He later gave up a spring training home run, the first home run for Frank Robinson as an Oriole, when Narum was pitching for the Senators. So he's a part of Orioles legend and lore. And so, without further ado, let's get to our winner of the all-time Orioles player to wear the number 35. And our winner is Buster Narum. Congratulations, Buster. Oh, hey, hey, the booing. Now listen, I know this is controversial. You may feel like Mike Mucina's not getting his due. Or you feel like I'm really reaching on this one and delving into trivial details. That I simply refuse to give people their due. You may even go as far as to say, Buster sucks. I'm just going to conclude by saying all that negativity it's bad for baseball. All right, Jake. Um, it's that time. It's midseason. It's time to, um, you know, make us some assessments based off of where we stand so far halfway through the season. Uh, so we're going to give some grades, some superlatives, and uh, yeah, we're going to give some general comments, as it were, in classic bird's eye view style. I got to say, it's nice that we're doing this, you know, midseason again and not at the end of a very short season. Yes. All right, so we're gonna do we're gonna do grades, right? Um, and and I expect that you and I are going to just have a knockdown drag out about each of these, and by that I mean we'll we'll probably agree on a lot. Yeah. Uh, but I'm looking forward to the superlatives at the end because any classic Oreos yearbook should include some superlatives. Absolutely. But let, let's go ahead and and get started. Um, I, I'd like to talk about starting pitching, and let's just take starting pitching. As a group, first, sure. What would what grade would you give A A through F? You know, classic style uh, scale. 
What would you give the starting pitching for the Baltimore Orioles in 2022? B minus. It's been good. It's been above satisfactory, but I wouldn't say it's great. Um, so I'm going to give it a solid B minus. I think if John Means were here, um, it might be a B plus, but I'm going to go B minus. Okay. I was going to say B. And so I'm perfectly satisfied okay. with your B minus first because you're smarter than me. And second, second of all, I don't come from a Catholic school, so I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to pay for my grades. I said it was a classic <laughs> scale. But I also wonder if, if some of my uh, excitement, some of my enthusiasm for the B comes from my expectation. Oh, sure. The season. Yeah, I mean, like I said, they are uh, well outperforming any expectation that we all had uh, for what this starting pitching was going to be um, at this given time. I mean, they're they're doing very well. I mean, like, let's come back and think about this. Starting pitching right now for the Baltimore Orioles um, is grading out, you know, somewhere in, I think, the top 10 last time I checked. I'll pull it up exactly. But I think it's top 10 right now in Major League Baseball in terms of F4. They're down to 16th right now. But again, they are, they're right there. Like I said, they're in that 10 to 15 range is, is what I've normally have seen for most of the season, um, which is a lot different than the 29 to 30 that we have seen in previous seasons, is the best way to put it. Um, and even when we come back to the Buckle Up Birds era, the Baltimore Orioles were never in that top 10 category. They were middle of the pack, is the best way to put it. And they cared with their bats. Right. Randy Wolf. Uh, Joe Saunders, that kind of thing. Do not you dare. Don't you dare make fun of Joe Saunders. Okay. I would, I would never. Yeah. I would never. All right. So I'm gonna give um I'm gonna give out some individual grades here. Sure. I think that clearly the easiest one is John Means, and that's an incomplete. Yep. I would agree. Um but let's talk about Jordan Lyles. Um this is a guy that I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but this is a guy I did not believe in coming into the season. Um, you know, I thought it was a decent pickup that the the money uh, for what we were getting was probably going to be okay, but that it was going to be absolutely absurdly not enough. And I got to be honest, again, from an expectation standpoint, I'm eating a whole lot of crow. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even the aspect of let's take out ERA and everything out of the picture. Um, so far at the All-Star break, 105 innings pitched. Yeah, I'll take that any day is the best way to put it. So, um, yeah, I mean, Jordan Lyles, has done Jordan Lyles things. It hasn't been super impressive, but he's been in, in the low fours from an ERA, a FIP, an XFIP standpoint, um, which is the best you could hope for from a Jordan Lyles. The 100 innings is what you were looking for. Um, so, you know, based off that information, Jake, what, what grade are you giving him? I got to go at least B minus. Okay, I'm going to give him a B because, okay. again, it, it hits the aspects of what I was expecting for. It's not exceeding it to make me take it to an A category. Um, Jordan Lyles is all every single penny we've paid him this year. Well worth it is the best way to put it. Like I said, it, this team would not have been able to get by with John Means being you know unavailable um, without Jordan Lyles basically putting up um, the innings pitch. I might even push him to a B plus. Um, and I know people are going to criticize and say, well, Jordan Lyles isn't very good. But again, he's going out there and putting innings up, which is all I'm looking for. Yeah, the thing is, that I don't think Jordan Lyles is very good, but he's pitched pretty good. Right, and the other question I would have for you is, what do you think about him as a as a clubhouse presence? You know, when I look at a guy like Jordan Lyles, he doesn't scream veteran leader to me, but when I listen to him speak after a game, you know, in the interview, he's incredibly accountable. All he wants to talk about are his mistakes yep. and what he can do to to make things better. 
and obviously the young pictures have kind of embraced that because even when we come back to Father's Day, they all wore, you know, Father's Day shirts to be like, Jordan Lyles is my dad, basically. So, I mean, there is this clubhouse camaraderie basis. Um, but you're right. Like, Jordan Lyles is not a great pitcher. Um, we know none of us think he's a great pitcher. Um, but he's serving the role that the Orioles paid him to do. Um, and and that's good enough is the best way to put it. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the Orioles continue. I mean, he, he can still be available as of next year. Um, I would assume the Orioles would basically take up that option. But, um, yeah, Jordan Lyles is very in- interesting so far this season. All right. Uh, let's keep moving down the starting rotation. Tyler Wells. Uh Tyler Wells uh gets a a a a a C plus for me. Um and, and here's the only reason why. He's got a great season so far, uh, with a three point three eight ERA, um, seven wins so far in the season as well. Um it's just the peripherals don't like super excite me. And that's the only thing that he kind of gets a little bit of a negative knock on for me. Um I don't think Tyler Wells is like long for the rotation next year. Um but Tyler Wells is doing what he's doing is the best way to put it. Um, there's something there, but it's not much is, is the best way to put it. I, I agree. I, I as well selected C plus. I think that Tyler Wells, he's having the kind of season where the sum is greater than the parts. Yes. Right. You know, you look at any one start and you're like, wow, that was surprisingly. Wow. Okay. But you're right. The peripherals aren't there. He kind of knows how to pitch, though. Like, that's the whole thing. And, like, he, he doesn't have any great peripherals, but he kind of knows how to, like, navigate the game. And Palmer has picked up on this before when you're watching him of, like, he picks some good times to make some, you know, really intriguing pitches. So, again, I don't think he's more than a fifth starter is the best way to put it. Um, the Warriors are going to need a fifth starter is the best way to put it. And maybe Tyler Wells is that individual. I agree that he could be a fifth starter. I also really look at the Keegan Aiken role, and I don't want to get ahead in, mm-hmm. into that discussion just yet, but can you imagine if you had a pair of those guys from the left and from the right, Sure. particularly as the game evolves and maybe you have more and more short starts, to have a guy like Tyler Wells that can, can do the things that he can do, uh, it's good stuff. Okay, yeah. here's one that I, I'm really, really interested to hear from you. And again... I'm just going to go back to expectations. Talk to me about Spencer Watkins and what grade you would give him so far this season. Um, yeah, I mean, if I had to give a grade to Spencer Watkins, it would probably be a, a C. But it's a C basically like I just want him to pass to the next grade because I no longer want to see him again. I I cannot believe that we're talking about Spencer, Watts, Spencer Watkins. Well, yes, but I can't believe we're talking about a season that we're not disappointed with. Yeah, in which Spencer Watkins has given you twelve starts. Yeah, Spencer Watkins has started twelve games for the Baltimore Orioles in 2022, and we're not talking about firing him into the sun. Yeah, three point nine three ERA, four point four seven FIP. Um, it's not terrible, but it's not great. Either, and, and I would argue it's not sustainable. No, it's not. I, I would also say that uh, again. That's what I'm saying. Th- I just want to pass him to the next grade. I want to get him out of my system. Is the best way to put it. Those numbers, I think, also look better because he's had two or three pr- really good starts recently. Sure. That you know, he's let's let's just say he's enjoying a curve yeah. on his grading scale. Right and, now. and this comes back to the early in the season where people are like, "Well, what are we going to do with Spencer Watkins? Like he's pitching decent. Like how are we going to get?" 
Grace Rodriguez in here, or how are we going to get D.L. Hall? And it's like, we'll figure it out. It's like, we'll figure that out, guys. It's also hard. Like, you just take out the individual that's, you know, not that great, and you move him to a different spot. Um, but yeah, Spencer Watkins gets me a C. I, I'm looking for him to graduate, and for me not to see him again until the 20th year reunion um, in the future is the best way to put it. All right. Uh, rounding out with the, the starting pitchers I want to talk about, talk to me about Dean Kramer and what you would give him as far as a midseason grade. Yeah, so I, I think I would just send Dean Kramer to uh, Jewish summer school um, and just allow him to mature a little bit further um, before I give him a grade. Are you telling me that he did not make the Dean's list? Uh, he did not make the Dean's list. <laughs> I'm going to give Kramer a B. A B? A B. Oh, my goodness. And again, this goes from a greatly exceeding expectations. He came out and pitched his pitched his butt off. He absolutely did. Uh, it hasn't been perfect. I, but I'm going to keep him in Jewish summer school is the best way to put it. Like I said, I'm going to send him to summer camp. He's going to go through his bar mitzvah. He's going to come of age. Um but like I said, I, 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 there's not enough here for me to grade on, it, on I, Dean Kramer. I was ready to write Dean Kramer off. I was ready to write Dean Kramer off too, and I'm still ready to write Dean Kramer off. Um, but yeah, like I said, I haven't seen enough from Dean Kramer to be like, absolutely, let's mazel top him. After, after eight starts, I am more impressed than I was ready to be. Yeah. All right. Uh, are there any other starters that, that you want to talk about? No. There's absolutely no starter I want to talk about. Well, let's, let's move along. Let's talk about some relief pitching. And, of course, I think we've got to start with all-star Jorge Lopez. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give Jorge Lopez B. Are you saying he's the Ty Wigginton of all-star closers? I'm saying Jorge Lopez has had a really nice first half, but it's Jorge Lopez, and I'm not going to get too excited about Jorge Lopez. I think a B is fair. What I will say is that Jorge Lopez has a role, a meaningful role, in all 30 bullpens in this league. Yes, no, no doubt. Like, Jorge Lopez has found himself a role for the rest of his Major League Baseball career. And when he comes in, I, I feel confident about what's about to happen. And his failed starter's complement of pitches works well in relief. I don't know if I feel confident is the best way to put it. I feel good, but confidence not the word I would use. And here's the reason why. When I look at Jorge Lopez and I look at his walks per nine, I'm like, are we going to see good Jorge Lopez or are we going to see bad Jorge Lopez? So that still unnerves me a little bit. Um, but you're right. Jorge Lopez has a role. He has a role going forward for the Baltimore Orioles. He has a role in any bullpen in Major League Baseball. Um, still not quite sure if he's closer material. I I agree there. Um, you know we've talked about this whether or not a closer should exist. If I had to say, you've got three guys in the Orioles pen that when stuff's about to hit the fan, you can go to one of those three guys. I think he makes that list. Yes, I I agree with that. Like he is in my top three individuals. That if I had a high leverage situation currently for the Baltimore Orioles bullpen, I'm going to. All right. Let me ask that as a segue. Yep. Who are your other two guys? So my other two guys would be Felix Batista, obviously. Um, and my my last individual is going to be Sayanel Perez. Is going to be my other my other individual who is going to be my my three individuals that I feel comfortable with going with at this given moment. Um, 
And honestly, I'm not sure if I'm complete or late with that list. Like I said, that's a, a list that I go to. Um, but let's progress through the names. And like I said, it's one of those situations where I'm trying to check my biases at the door, as, as it were. All right. Um, what's your grade for Felix Bautista? My grade for Felix Bautista right now is a B plus. Um, I think he's doing really well. I think he's just still trying to figure out a few things that, you know, should be obvious to him. Um, one thing that he gets rattled when people get on base. So from a high leverage situation standpoint, I think that's sometimes something that bothers me. But overall, B plus. And he's got he's got to come in a clean inning, you know. Correct. So Felix Batista has been really nice so far this season. I just I love the velocity. Oh, absolutely. I love Big the Felix. velocity. Yeah, yeah, like I said. Absolutely. He he's close to an A minus to me, but like I said, he the runners on base drops drops him into an A minus category for me. Okay. Or B B plus category for me, yeah. I, I'm totally okay with that answer. Talk to me about Perez. Uh Perez is actually probably in a similar boat. I'm putting him in a B plus. Um, I, I really like him. I know he had a, an issue this past weekend where, you know, he gave up that home run. Um, but Perez has been really nice. Um, really nice left hander. Um, so I'm gonna give him a B plus as well. And again, it's interesting that I've got Batista and Perez above Jorge Lopez, but I have greater confidence in terms of the stuff of Perez and Bautista over Jorge Lopez right now. It may also be that what we're asking, what we, like I'm there, what the team is asking them to do versus what the team is asking Lopez to do. Sure. The bar, it may not be as high for either of those two to clear. Agree. Agree. Um, I, I've also been really impressed with Joey Crable this yeah. season to be able to, um, to be able to fill a lot of roles. And so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pull out my first B plus yeah. uh, of the, of the, uh, the segment. I think that he has been able to both give this team innings when a starter goes down uh, unexpectedly uh, and also come in for a high leverage situation. I think he's a really versatile arm. Yeah. Um, and he's another guy that Brandon Hyde can go to that when he comes in, you're not like, oh, well, there it goes. Yeah, Joey Carble is my my B. And I know in the previous years, um, we may have had a bevy award specifically, like if a guy was walking down the street, you wouldn't recognize him. Joey Crable gets that standpoint of like you asked me to draw a picture of Joey Crable right now, I'd be like, there's zero chance I could draw a picture of Joey Crable. That actually would be a great exercise. <laughs> Scott, please draw me a picture of each of the twenty five man yeah. or twenty six man roster. Yeah. Um one name we haven't talked about is Dylan Tate. Yeah. Um, you know, Dylan Tate is another one that I would give a B to. Like I think he's in that Crable category. Like I think he's really good. Um, just not quite at the level of Batista and um, CNL Perez's. So I don't, I don't know if this is like enough of a difference for there to be like drama here. But I, I'm actually in C plus territory with really? Dylan Tate. Maybe it is a a sampling of the games that I've watched really carefully. Yeah, but I feel like more often Tate has come in and been wild. He, or... There's no question. There's been, there's been a few games where he's been wild. Even earlier in the season, he had the issues of the velocity, the biomechanics. I, I guess going in now to the second half at the All-Star break, I still have a greater degree of confidence in Dylan Tate exiting out. But yeah, maybe on the entire whole of the picture, yeah, but I think Dylan Tate has been more of a roller coaster picture um, than maybe any other relief pitcher currently in the bullpen at this moment. I mentioned Keegan Aiken earlier in the show. Uh, I've been thrilled with what he's done, uh, especially the length that he's been able to provide. And particularly, again, you turn a failed starter into something of great value. 
I, I would say Keegan Aiken is a B plus. I'd, I'd love to know what you think. Yeah, I mean, I would love to give Keegan Aiken a grade, but unfortunately, I can't grade individuals that don't have an immunization record. So, um, you know, until that happens, um, we're going to have to, you know, hold off on it. I stand corrected. I'm wrong. You are right. <laughs> the arm I'm the most curious to talk about. Uh, this is one that I cannot decide upon. Uh, there is a smudge on my grade book. Mm-hmm. And I I can't tell you what this character is underneath the smudge. And that's Brian Baker. Mm-hmm. Brian Baker is a guy who sometimes comes in and he's wild and he's hittable and he's frustrating. And sometimes he's a guy that comes in and reminds me a little bit of CNL Perez with incredible velocity and he's all arms and legs and, you know, can come in for either you know, the Joey Crable thing of long innings or just a, a quick uh, spot. I can't figure him out. Yeah, so I think Brian Baker is my is my dark horse. And I'm not actually going to assign him a grade because he's one of those individuals that is at the top of the class and then doesn't turn an assignment in, is the best way to put it. So it's like up, down, up, down, up, down. Um but yeah, Brian Baker is really weird for me because it's one of the situations where earlier this year I've been like, why is Brian Baker still in the rotation? And even now I'm like, is Brian Baker really that valuable? But then I watch him pitch and I'm like, that was actually really good. Um, here's the only rub I have against Brian Baker is I haven't seen him in a ton of like super high leverage situations. And until I see that happen, I, I it's hard for me to do it. So, you know, I'm not going to give him a grade because he's kind of that, you know, alpha and omega standpoint is the best way to put it. So let's hold off on a Brian Baker for the future. Okay, but do we have enough information to grade his mustache? Mm, I do. His mustache is a solid B. Really? Yeah. Oh, we're going to fisticuffs on this yes. one. I'm D minus uh, mustache. No, I, I guarantee you that if you were to pull um, the greater Baltimore metropolitan area, Brian Baker would get a solid B for a mustache. Okay. All right. I, I, you know, I trust you on these things, Scott. I trust you. Um, I'm not sure there are really that many other pitchers worth talking about. I know Austin Voth has made a number of appearances for the team. As such a late addition, I hesitate to offer him a grade. And again, he's, he's started a lot of games too. So again, I think opened, opened. Yes. Um, so I, I don't want to, you know, strictly throw him out, um, is the best way to put it at this given time. Something we can revisit in the future as, uh, you know, Baltimore Orioles fans. But, um, yeah, like I said, I'm not going to talk about Austin Voth quite yet at this given moment. All right, that's a good segue because, Scotty, I don't want to talk about every player on the 26-person roster here, but I do want to go through the regulars and assign uh, some grades. And let's not bury the lead. Let's start with Adley Rutschman. Yeah. Adley Rutschman has uh, come up. It was a big deal. Here he is. What do you think so far? Yeah, so I, I'm not going to, again, give Ali Rutschman a grade because I'm going to give him a tardy notice. Um, he should have started with the team, um, is the best way to describe it. Uh, he was late to class. Um, so, again, I'm going to issue him a tardy notice. Um, and I'm going to keep my eye on him, is the best way to put it. Um, I'm going to keep an eye on him and just see how he's doing. But certainly, over the past few weeks, Ali Rutschman has gotten a lot of high accolades, is the best way to put it with some very clutch hitting and some really nice defensive work behind the plate. Um, but for the time being, he's he's under, you know, tardiness, as it were, and I'm keeping an eye on him. Let me uh, let me make you aware of a few things that Adley Rutschman has going on 
right now. First, I would like to point out that Adley Rutschman has appeared in 45 games this season. That that sounds right. Nearly half of the Orioles' schedule. He has, in that time, 178 plate appearances. Why, Why am I saying that? Because, Scott, Robinson Trinos has appeared in 46 games and has 156 plate appearances. So at this point, Adley Rutschman has had more at-bats, more plate appearances than Chirinos in, in just half the season, even though he was tardy. And that you know comes from being a replacement and getting uh, you know DH, blah, blah, blah. Here's another thing. This season, so far, at the halfway point, Adley Rutschman is at a 100-weighted runs created plus. Yep. The rookie or the rookie phenom, whichever way you want to look at it, has been just fine at 100. Way to run creative plus. And the last thing I'll say is that his war for this season is 1.1. So if you look at it, and if he can do twice that, and he's a 2.2 war player at the end of his rookie season, let me ask you, how would you feel about a 2.2 war season out of Adley Rutschman as a fresh, as a uh, rookie? I feel okay about it, is the best way to put it. And again, I come back to, you, know, you mentioned the way to run creative plus, 54 for the first month. 116 in June, 113 so far in July. Um, and, and again, I would come back and say, if Adley could finish out at, we'll call it roughly a 2.5 war season, I'd be okay with it. And again, I want to see him more at that 4-5 to five war season standpoint. Yeah, so it comes down to that. I think Adley Rutschman so far gets a passing grade from me. The question is, by the end of the season, how happy will we be with that grade? Yeah, like I said, I think he'll he'll finish out fine, but for the time being, he's on tardy notice, tardy notice for me. Um, who other individuals would you like to talk about th- so far throughout the entire season? Let's just wander our way around the infield. Sure. Uh, it's first base, Ryan Mountcastle. What do you got for me? Yeah, so Ryan Mountcastle, 118 weighted runs created plus, um, definitely doing okay from the homer standpoint at 14 home runs. He's going to get a solid B for me. Like I said, if he can finish out at a 2 to 2.5 war season for me, uh, I'll take that from from around Mountcastle. I think I've got some head trash from the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be honest about that and say that, you know, I need to do some some soul searching about whether I, I'm emoting too much in my grade book here. I feel like the bats in the last week at oh, least they've been ugly. have been really poor. And it could be that I am isolating one part of his game in a very short sample size and allowing that to cloud my vision. But that's a big part of his game. Yeah. I'm seeing a lot of swing it slider Adam Jones Mm. with not enough of the heroic home run Adam Jones to, to make up for it or charisma or well, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to say, I'm going to say B minus for Mountcastle this season. I I acknowledge that I could be being too harsh. Uh, What have your thoughts been on Rugnet Odor in the first half? Uh, Suspended due to fighting. (laughs) I like it. I like it. Um, Odor's been fine. It's it's the standpoint of like, He's got big plays on occasion, and then he's got nothing going on. I mean, he's he's at the entire season at a zero war basis, both in terms of defense and offensive performance. He's got a 78 weighted runs created plus. Um, let, let's be frank. Um, 
that's not good. I mean, Odor is not doing what is necessary for him to be a sustainable Major League Baseball career player. Um, yeah, it's not good. It is the best way. Maybe Brian McKenna is hitting better than he is. This is on, the, on average. <laughs> this is the way I look at it. Odor is a D student. He is here on scholarship from the Texas Rangers, and he is really only here for the extracurriculars. Yes. And what I mean by that is, I think there is some value that he brings to the clubhouse. I think that his his presence is felt. I feel that his presence is felt by the other guys in the club, but I, I don't think from a, a strictly academic standpoint, He's bringing much to the table. I, I mean, I, I think if you look at the current 25-man roster, I think Rogna Odor could easily fill the Jonathan Aruz position, is the best way to put it. Um, but I really question how much longer the Orioles really need to trot out Rogna Odor out there five to six games per week. You'll get no argument from, from me. Right. Uh, talk to me then about Jorge Mateo. Um, all right. I really like Jorge Mateo, like a, a, a lot. Like I like his defense. I like the speed. Obviously, the bat is not great, uh, but I'm going to give uh, Jorge Mateo a solid B as well. Um, I really like Jorge Mateo a lot, and again, I really think Jorge Mateo needs to stay on this team as long as possible. Wow, I'm really surprised. I I would say that Jorge Mateo is a C student. Okay, one that I'm I'm glad to have in my class. Yep. One that works hard, but is just not good with the material, right? He's the kind of guy who struggles his way through trigonometry, uh, and you're happy to see him there. You're happy that he's he's putting in the effort, but uh, you know, not consistently, you know, scoring highly on the test. I, I hope that he puts some of the hitting together so that he can make use of those good tools. But defensively, he's doing it uh, in, in a big way. Yeah. Let yeah. me put it in perspective for you. So, like, I consider Jorge Mateo to be like a supporting cast member in a play for you. Okay. He's not the star, um, but you need his kind of transitions throughout act two in order to get us to act three. And without that, uh, we're not getting it. So Jorge Mateo's defensive prowess that we're seeing at shortstop, um, the speed on the base pass going first to home um, is a huge deal to me as well. Um, I think Jorge Mateo is extremely underrated. And I think going forward, um, him serving as a super utility player is going to be monumental for the Baltimore Orioles. All right, next, uh, you know, over on that side of the diamond, what can you tell me about Ramon Urias? Um, can I go with somewhat incomplete? I mean, he definitely was hurt there for a while. He's come back. He's done all right. He's at a 1.4 F4. Um, as much as Derek Arnold wants to convince me that Euron New Year's is the next, you know, future thing for the Baltimore Orioles um, and has a role in this team, I'm just still not sure. I look at Gunnar Henderson, I look at Jordan Westberg, and I don't know where Euron New Year's fits in in the future. So how about, can I just go with, like, to be determined? Okay. Um, maybe this goes back to expectation. Yeah. He gets a B- for me. Okay. He gets a B- for me for occasional heroics, for competency in a lot of defensive uh positions though he did he did have some 
struggles at third base uh, for a little bit there. Uh, but mostly it's the fact that I think that he's going to be here for a while in a meaningful role in that utility and possibly super utility. That That's, that's really his ceiling, I think. Uh, he's got all the potential, right? It really just depends on how he performs in chemistry this year. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, and like I said, let's see how it progresses for the second half of the year. Um, you know, some other individuals as we kind of walk into the outfield and stuff like that, Anthony Santander, um, what kind of grade are you giving him? You know, he has been solid. He has been solid but unspectacular. You know, for the first half, Anthony Santander has a 111 weighted runs created plus. He's a half, uh, one, a 0.5 war player, and he is a, a trade candidate. And keep in mind, you know, this is a former uh, Rule 5 draft pick. So for what he's accomplishing, it, it, you know, for, it's good. I don't know. I, I, I think he's in B minus territory for me just because I, I don't feel like he's living up to that MVO performance that we got from him in years past. Yeah, as much as I would love to give Anthony Santander a grade, um, looking at where he's currently living, he's actually not even within the boundary of this current school for me to grade out. So I'm actually going to have to reassign him to another school um, and allow them to take a look at his um, academic work and make that determination. I think that move should probably take effect, say, oh, August 1st. August 1st. Um, and, you know, maybe he'd be best suited for a, 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 a curriculum that is more European in nature. European, perhaps, but not Canadian. Not He's going to have trouble getting over that border. He is. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about uh, Cedric Mullins? Uh, so Cedric Mullins uh, gets my A- minus for the team. I've been really impressed with Cedric Mullins. I, I really think that Cedric Mullins has done an amazing job, both defensively. I think he's done a great job um at the plate for you know obviously a rough you know first month um but for may and june and even now into july i think he's had a really a, a nice season so far to date so cedric mullins gets my first kind of a for a welcome an a minus huh that's really interesting scott i'm i'm looking through my grade book here and i i don't seem to have a form for cedric mullins I, i'll tell you what maybe um let me come back to it later in the show maybe maybe i can put something together All before right. we we get there um let's see we've got austin hayes what are you giving austin hayes so far this season austin hayes i'm gonna give a solid b plus two uh austin hayes has been on the field uh a lot more than in previous years or at least in the first half he hasn't come down with the uh the injury that's going to keep him off um and he's he's doing the things you know he is being in my view that plus complimentary player that the orioles need he's playing a great defensive outfield in a changing and challenging uh Camden Yards left field and uh you know what we get from him as far as speed on the base paths is concerned uh I, all good things I, I'm really uh, liking what I'm seeing from Austin Hayes yeah Austin Hayes gets another a minus from me um I think I'm going to put him in the same bucket of, of Mullins and yes I'm aware that you know offensively and defensively you know it's a little bit different between the two um but I think Mullins and Hayes play really well complementary baseball together so I think it'd be a disservice to grade them differently. Yes, Hayes has had a drop-off um, going into the All-Star break, um, but I don't think Mullins and Hayes could be the players that they are today without them being next to each other in the outfield. 
So I'm going to give them the same graded A minus. We've got a uh, 21 31 uh, Utah Street situation going on here, I believe. Yes. We got a run out with Trey Mancini. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm going to go I'm probably going to go B plus with Trey Mancini. Trey Mancini has had a nice season. He's got a 121 red runs created plus. He's having a 1.3 war season. So, you know, we round that all out and say if he ends this season with a 2.6 war season, he he's having a pretty good season. He is he's drawing interest on the trade um market, you know, because he's a he's a good player. Um I will say that there are times where uh Trey Mancini seems to swing through in big situations. Mm-hmm. And and I'm not being critical of him in any way, shape, or form. It's just that as a, you know, the quote unquote best offensive player on this team, uh, the all-star of our hearts, of course. Um, I would love to see him take over more games. And I don't really think that I've seen that. Um, and so, you know, not not uh, knocking on him at all in any way, shape, or form. But, uh, you know, I can't I can't bring out the A for that. Yeah, so Trey Mancini gets an A-plus for me. I don't cheer for cancer, um, unlike Jake does. Um, so he gets an A-plus for me. He is, um, you know, outstanding and impeccable individual and uh, a model individual for us to have in the clubhouse as a Baltimore Royal. I deserve that. I deserve <laughs> every bit of that. Scotty, my last question to you is this. Sure. How would you grade Brandon Hyde for the first half of the 2022 season? Uh, I'd go B-. minus. There's been a few questions that have specifically as it relates to um, bullpen management and everything like that. But overall, I think he's doing a nice job. Like I said, it's he's keeping the clubhouse lively. He's relying on veteran talent. Um, but a few weird decisions out of the bullpen um, is the best way to put it. Um, and then, again, I'll, I'll come back to the Buck Showalter era. Um, there's been a few instances where I've noticed that he's dry home to pitchers. And for a bullpen that's continually overused, it's just something that I, I notice is the best way to put it. So he gets a B minus for me. I think he's doing a great job overall, though. Um, I want to continue to see him, you know, manage for the Baltimore Orioles. Um, like I said, I, I think it could just be he can learn lessons along the way. Do you want him to be here when they're good? I do. I'm going to give Brennan Hyde a B plus, And I think it's because he's turned in a lot of late assignments. And what I mean by that is I think that we're seeing now some of the work that he's done all along. And we've said it time and time again on this program. How can we possibly evaluate Brandon Hyde for what's going on here, you know, on the field? He's got terrible talent to work with. The team's not expected to win. Of course, they're getting their brains beat in. What what would you possibly want to see from him? Well, now we're seeing the team win a little bit. And I got to be honest, we're seeing a lot of the same things, right? The same things that that we've been seeing uh, all along are the things that are working here. And, and I think that what he's brought the clubhouse through and into is some of the stuff that, that you can look at and say, oh, that's why he got this job. That's what they saw in him when they knew they were going to go through this rebuild. Uh, I'm delighted for him that the team is doing so well right now. Yeah, he gets a he gets a B plus in my book. Yeah. Um, anything else we're singling out and are talking about? No, I, I think I think uh, you know I've I've run out of red ink, uh, so I'm going to have to get a new one for the the grade book. And I I, I tell you what I'm. Gonna look around and see if I can uh, if I can find my Cedric Mullins 
uh, score sheet here, but uh, no, I'm good. You? I'm good. Please welcome Zach Spedden, Bob Phelan, and Nick Stevens from The Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, the co-hosts of On The Verge. We are happy to be presenting it this year's Bevies. And our award for 2022 is the best prospect you've never heard of. We whittled it down to six nominees, and they are right-handed pitcher Noah DeNoyer, Billy Bay Sox. Yeah, if you like a guy who went uh, 40 rounds without getting drafted, and now he's in double A, not walking anybody, uh, this is a prospect you might want to pay attention to. Right-handed pitcher Chris Valmont of the Norfolk Tides. Yes, that Chris Valmont, the guy the Orioles claimed on waivers after getting lit up for like a 10 ERA and just never heard from him again because he was sent to the minor leagues. Yes, that one who has suddenly turned around and struck out a million batters and walked very few. Ignacio Feliz, right-handed pitcher of Aberdeen Ironbirds. If you like K-struts and shortstops who know how to pitch, apparently, uh, uh, Ignacio Feliz is your guy. Only D.L. Hall has more strikeouts in the entire minor league organization. Left-handed pitcher Davy Cruz, Delmarva Swordbirds. Not that Davy Cruz, not the shortstop that played for Tampa Bay and for the Orioles for a year or two. No, a left-handed pitcher, brother of Josue Cruz, who was released earlier this year. 18-year-old kid who just has electric stuff. And uh, I think you will see him fill the cupboards in the next year or two. Or the Orioles pitching. Yeah, we would not bring back shortstop Davy Cruz. Um, catcher Maverick Hanley, Bowie Bay Sox. I mean, if you like elite defensive abilities, uh, I know Adley's our guy in the big leagues, but you need two catchers. And Maverick Hanley is not only an elite defensive catcher, master of the back pick, but the guy is hitting and hitting hard this year. Frederick Ben Cosme, infielder at Delmarva Swordbirds. Yeah, if you want a... 19-year-old shortstop who's walking 9.2% of the time and only striking out 8.5% of the time while batting 368 with an 867 OPS and just a ton of fun to watch on the field and at the plate, then this is your guy. And the winner of the 2022 Best Prospect You've Never Heard Of is Frederick Ben Cosme, Delmarva Swordbirds. Now, one thing you should know about Ben Cosme, aside from everything that Bob just said, is that he is an electric player who is hashtag legendary. That's all you need to know. Hashtag legendary. Remember the name. Presenting a bevy, please welcome Scott Magnus. All right. So we were giving out grades earlier. And uh, yeah, sitting in um, SD Studios, I came across my 2002 yearbook. And uh, it got me thinking. Um, what if we give out superlatives? Are you kidding me? This I mean, is the 10th year we've been doing the bevies. You think that you can just walk in here and write a new set of rules for how we do... No, that sounds right. Hi, welcome to Bird's Eye View. Pleasure <laughs> to meet you. So our second bevy of the evening is actually a series of yearbook-style superlatives. So our first one's going to go to Most Improved. So Jake, who are we going with this year for Most Improved in the 2022 yearbook? Well, looking on page 213 and a couple of indexes there... It says right here, most improved, Jorge Lopez. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I mean, like I said, I don't think we any of us certainly were uh, expecting Jorge Lopez to be this good 
on the season earlier season. It, right next to it too, there's biggest surprise and um yeah, you know, based off the um, you know, genitalia that is being posted right next to it from a biggest surprise standpoint, um it's going to Jordan Lyles apparently too because apparently he's got some massive cojones coming onto this team and pitching the way he has. <laughs> I wish that this were a visual medium where you could see me cringe quite so uh, effusively. You never know what's going to come out of the bevies. It's, it's a surprise every single time. Next, our superlative for most likely to make you pee your pants. And there is no question when it comes to a bullpen, uh, bullpen arm, for me, it is Dylan Tate. Dylan Tate absolutely is taking home the superlative of most likely Oriole to make you pee your pants. You're up and you're down. You're left and you're right. You're in and you're out. Uh, best new addition uh, is going to go to Adley Rutschman. Thank goodness he's finally here. We've been waiting for it for some time now. Um, not much competition after Grayson Rodriguez got hurt. Um, but Adley Rutschman gets the the midseason award as a award. We, we do love him truly, Adley, deeply. Uh, next one goes to, oh, this is a controversial one. Most likely to succeed elsewhere. This is not the Nashville award, correct? No. Okay, okay. Well, I mean, I think it's pretty clear. The current Oriole most likely to succeed elsewhere is Trey Mancini. Absolutely. Uh, Jake, I do raise this question uh, going to the next page and flipping through here. Who would you consider to be the biggest flirt? On the Baltimore Orioles so this, far, halfway through the season. This is an easy one for me. Clear. The biggest flirt goes to Brandon Hyde. All right. I, I, I technically agree with you as it relates to the Baltimore Orioles organization. Because Brandon Hyde has been flirting with disaster when it comes to this bullpen until this year. It seems like every time he goes to pull a lever, he might be flipping his own chair into a vat of lava. Yeah. Can I put an asterisk on this one though? Oh, because in classic do. bird's eye view standpoint, if we're truly, truly, um, you know, picking the biggest flirt, I think we've got to give it to Kevin Brown flirting with with Jake English on a nightly basis every single time he's on the broadcast. It's not just me, Scott. Kevin Brown flirts with us all. <laughs> Kevin Brown finds those things that matter to us, and he makes us feel alive again. Absolutely. Uh, cutest couple is going to go to Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes. We covered this in the last segment. They are two peas in a pod, and uh, let's not let them get away from each other. Uh, who's your class clown going to be this year for the Baltimore Orioles? My class clown is going to go to Ryan Mountcastle, the uh, player who was mic'd up in the game I couldn't watch. Uh, but he's apparently got some personality to him, and I'm looking forward to seeing that develop and, and find its way to the fans for years to come. And, of course, the most important superlative uh, for bevies is talks the most says the least so who truly represents everything that bird's eye view is about <laughs> that's true talks the most says the least <laughs> is us yes. scott we got the superlative of talks the most says the least uh on the team i think it's probably rugnet odor uh you know he talks with his hands a lot talks with uh, his hands a lot according to joey bats uh but i feel like you know he's the one um being effusive there in the in the dugout you know, he's the one emoting getting people fired up uh but i don't it, think the home i think the home run chain was created for the rugnet adore in all of us is it's like why are we wearing this um and russell's like yeah i bought this and it's like 30 dollars. i bought this and it's just like these are bad decisions that if we look the yearbook you know five ten fifteen years later you're gonna be like 
what was I wearing? And, you know, the home run chain is going to be the Rugnan Adore in all of us. I'm not sure I'm comfortable <laughs> with the Rugnan Adore <laughs> in all of us. <laughs> well, you know, let's turn the page. The yearbook always has great superlatives uh, for us all. Bird's eye view listeners, please, after you listen to the bevies, make sure you tell us what your superlatives are for this mid-season 2022. Please welcome Cal Renner and Joe Paparato of ODP Apparel. Welcome back, everybody, to the Bevies. I am Cal, and with me is my good friend, Joe Pa. And together, we used to make up the OBP podcast. Joe Pa, we've been invited back to deliver not one, but two Bevy Awards for this year's award ceremony. And we're taking full advantage of it, not just to plug the new OBP 22 collection available at obpapparel.com. Get your shirts for Baltimore's best local sports gear. No, not just here to plug that. We actually have two awards that we're handing out this year. I'm gonna hand it over to you to give out our first. Well, thank you, Cal. And I just want to say thank you to the Bevy Committee for allowing us back to announce another award. It's clear they had nobody else to ask. So we thank them for this honor. And our first award that we will be giving out memorializes an all-time great, um, a face gone too soon. Sadly, after his record-setting run anchoring the California Angels pennant, in the mid-90s, baseball world lost ace pitcher Mel Clark. In his honor, we want to recognize the player on the Orioles staff most deserving of recognition with Mel Clark Memorial Award. This award will go out to the player that most exemplifies the grit involved in the game, the pushing himself through, defying all of the odds. Mm. And our nominees for the Mel Clark Memorial Award are Austin Hayes, Jordan Lyles, Jorge Lopez, and Trey Mancini. And the winner of the bevy for the Mel Clark Memorial Award goes to Jorge Lopez. Ah, congratulations. Man, I think that's yeah. a that's a well deserving uh, award yeah. right there. I mean, for sure. I mean, who who exemplifies that grit like like Mel Clark showed in that pennant clinching game against the White Sox more than the competitor that is Jorge Lopez? No one could have seen Mel Clark's comeback uh, from from the DL and and after being traded from Cincinnati to the California Angels and predicted him to lead that '90s California Angels team to victory. Uh, in the same way that no one could have predicted Jorge Lopez to be such an effective closer and ultimately be the Orioles' lone all-star representative this season. Uh, man, how how fitting, it's, am I right? It's it, it's a fantastic award, and we should feel very honored to to win this award. Um, just like Mel Clark, he he goes out there, he finds out he um, what the audience finds out that uh, he will pass away from cancer in six months. Um, not Jorge Lopez, but Mel Clark, and 
he goes out there in an AL pennant crunching game and throws 156 pitches, just total bulldog on the mound. And time after time, we've seen Jorge Lopez go out there and get the five out saves, the six out saves, throw 50 pitches and go back to back to back nights on the mound. And it's something that we haven't seen on this team in a very long time. Good for Jorge Lopez. Absolutely. All right. Our next award and our final award of the evening here as presented by the OBP podcast. Don't forget to check out obpapparel.com for the 22 collection. Yes, this one memorializes yet another member of the Orioles community. He was actually a member of this podcast. He, uh, he flew too close to the sun and disappeared. Some say if you listen closely on student nights, you can still hear him cheering and chugging warm bottles of beer out of plastic water bottles. Yep. Where have you gone, Sal Renato? If you're out there somewhere, Sal, we raise the Steady Eddie IPA to you in your honor. The next award is the Sal Memorial Best Wishes Award, given to the current player that most embodies the spirit of Sal's favorite Oriole of all time, J.J. Hardy. And the nominees are center fielder, Cedric Mullins. Third baseman, Ramon Urias. Catcher, Robinson Chirinos. And out of the bullpen, Dylan Tate. And our winner is... Cedric Mullins. I think think based on what this award encapsulates and when it comes to J.J. Hardy, you have to pick... Cedric Mullins to be the winner. Am I right, Joe Pa? Yeah, that's that's definitely a fantastic comparison. He really brings that quiet confidence, that strong uh, lead by example leadership, and he's very, very consistent, very sure-handed. You know what to expect from him, and the two are very much in the same conversation as as ball players, same spirit. Two uh, two different guys with the same heart. Gotta love it. So here's hoping for many more years of Cedric Mullins, just as we had many years of JJ Hardy. Every one of them, just a fantastic example. Even those last years, just fantastic examples of of ball playing on the field. Sal, remember them fondly. Wherever you are, Sal, this one's for you. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you to the Bird's Eye View hosts for allowing us on this year. If you ask us back again, we won't quite understand why. But we're going to throw it back to you guys. And now, here are Jake and Scott for the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right, folks. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. So, Scott, yes, breaking the rules. Breaking the rules. I'm going to pick good. I'm going to pick bad. I'm going to pick ugly. All at once? No. Okay. 
but it's the bevies. All right. We've got to turn things up a little bit. All right. Scott, I'm going to challenge you to do this. All right. I want two selections from you on each. I will provide my own two selections Whew. for each. This is going to be a supersized good, bad, and ugly. Scott, this will be the good, good, the bad, bad, and the ugly, ugly. All right. I can do this. I can do this. Which, who's your two good for this, this mid-season point? Oh, I'm too good. No. My, my first good um, for this halfway through the season is going to go to Ramon Urias. Okay. This is a guy who exceeded expectations. He's a guy that, you know, we've been talking about who are going to be the complementary players on this roster. You know, who's going to be the next level down that's going to make things move. And strangely enough, it has been Urias. When you look at why this team is winning, the team is winning because of really solid pitching and just enough offense. Ramon Urias has uh, the fifth best offensive performance in this first half. And again, that's with being out for a considerable time. He had 107 weighted runs created plus, which again, doesn't sound that impressive until you realize that only seven Orioles were at or above that 100 level. Ramon Urias, during the winning streak, uh, was just blasting the ball. Um, and again, playing solid defense. I've been really impressed with what he's brought. And again, all he needs to do is just be okay. And so when he brings us more than just okay, in my book, that's good. All right. Um, who's your second good? My second good is Dean Kramer. We talked a little bit about it in the grade situation. I have been delighted with what we've gotten out of Dean Kramer, particularly because there have been disappointments in the starting rotation. Obviously, John Means. Obviously, Grayson Rodriguez. And then not getting what we wanted out of a Bruce Zimmerman or a uh, or a Kyle Bradish, right? There have been holes. There have been needs for someone to step up and fill a, a role in that starting rotation. And who's done that? Well, in many cases, it's been Dean Kramer. And he might not be able to do that forever, but he's had enough good starts to make me say, you know what? There's something here. Dean Kramer, at least for the first half, has been good. All right. So my good is going to go to Cedric Mullins. We covered this earlier. He's having a great uh, first half of the season. I know it was rough for the first first month, um, but he's really catching up. Defense has been impeccable. Um, arm has been proving as well. Uh, Cedric Mullins definitely gets some major accolades for me. And then my other good is going to go to Jordan Lyles. I can't overstate the fact of that 100-plus innings pitch coming into the break um, and, you know, posting some decent ERA numbers. It's nothing flashy, but again, he's a bulldog out there and getting through six innings all the time is a big deal for a team such as this. It's allowed the bullpen to, in essence, stay intact. Um, and that's a huge deal going forward. So those are my two good so far at the midpoint this season. All right. My bad uh, so far for this point in the season. Uh, my first one is going to go to Bruce Zimmerman. I was really hoping for more from him, and and I guess that's my own fault, but Bruce Zimmerman really hasn't gotten it done. Now, he has made 13 starts for this team in the first half, but they haven't been exactly the quality that we would have hoped for. Call it the story, you know, the hometown kid playing for his team. This was, again, an opportunity. I just talked about how, how someone needed to step up, and it wasn't Bruce Zimmerman. Hopefully, we'll get better as the second half of the season unfolds. My second bad uh, is really a slice of, uh, of time. And that was that first part of the season's worth of Cedric Mullins. Coming off of 
the all-star season coming off of a season that we knew he would never be this good again. It was a real bummer to see just okay. Cedric Mullins, right? A guy that came up and you were so used to him performing at such a high level to just get an okay. Cedric Mullins was really disappointing. I've loved what I've seen recently. I'm really hoping that he can be somewhere between that amazing season and what we saw in that first you know month or so of the season. But for the time being, just okay, Cedric Mullins was not okay. It was bad. Yeah, so my bad for so far this season, uh, number one is going to go to Robinson Chirinos. Um, you know, when Adley came up, there's this question of, does Anthony Van Boon stick around or does Chirinos stick around? And I thought Chirinos was going to be the selection because of a veteran presence. Um, and, and again, I'm looking at the matter now and I'm like, I'm not sure if that was a good move is the best way to put it. Adley doesn't need like he doesn't look like he needs that veteran presence. Um, and Chirinos continues to struggle at the plate. Uh, continues to struggle from a plate framing standpoint. Um, it certainly looks like the Orioles are going to be in the market for a backup catcher um, to be with Ali Rutschman going for in the future because Torinos isn't it. The other standpoint that I would come back to is, you know, just roster management in general, specifically with the 25-man roster. Um, we, we talked about this earlier where, you know, there is Jonathan Ruse, for example, uh, on, the, on the club. Um, you've dealt with the individuals such as Chris Owings earlier this season as well. And even Tyler Nevin kind of been floating around too. The Orioles don't seem to know how to fill out the rest of their bench, as it were. They've got, you know, not many great players on there to basically pull off from and use their advantage. I do like seeing Ryan McKenna come off as a fourth outfielder. Um, but I do think some roster management, specifically for the 25-man roster, could potentially be better going forward in the future um, by the Baltimore Orioles if they're going to be a successful team. All right, my ugly, I'm going to start out with the injuries. I think it's pretty clear that injuries have robbed us from having a really good time this season. Anything that separates me from watching John Means pitch is a bummer. But Possibly more importantly is the fact that we're not watching Grayson Rodriguez pitch mm-hmm. at the major league level. And the fact that both of those things have happened in the same season is just unconscionable. This is like, why did we build our team on an ancient burial ground territory? Injuries this season have been ugly. Yeah, I'm going to bold, italicize, and underscore that aspect of the Grayson Rodriguez and John Means injuries are... Uh, a disaster and like i said i'm not even thinking about that as it relates to currently going into the all-star break with the current record that we have it is just a demoralizing impact um and even the whole john means injury impacting now going into the 2023 season is something that we have to really cognizantly embrace going forward um that is going to have an impact on potentially um 2023 where we thought you know this team is going to be a competitive team it looks like right now the team could be a competitive team in 2022, but we were always getting ready for 2023, and John Means being out for a good portion of 2023 really hurts a lot. I'm just going to say, uh, if you'll allow me to blow up your skirt for a second, sure. you circled 2023. I did. From the beginning. From the very of, beginning. Of, of yep. this uh, rebuild. I said five years. It takes five years at least to get this to be, and I didn't say World Series. I said competitive playoff baseball, and honestly... 
I may be off a year, honestly. It might be a little early. I, I still can't really fathom what's going on for 2022. But certainly, I think we can all look at 2023 and be like, well, yeah, obviously it's going to be 2023 at this point. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's it's super exciting to see um, what happens when you've got a well-crafted plan is the best way to put it. You're not just flying by the seat of your pants. Absolutely. My second ugly uh, is going to go to this. And that is the upcoming Yankees series. I think the upcoming Yankees series is going to be ugly on a couple of fronts. The first is that the Orioles just won 10 games in a row. They had their first winning month in five years. They made, they made themselves a 500 ball club at the All-Star break. They are interesting. They come back. They don't quit. Like We, we almost have like a, a season-defining slogan for this team a la we won't stop and why not and buckle up this team is doing the things that fans have asked for and clearly i don't think that you know this team is world series bound but this team is doing enough for us to love them and for me it's going to be really ugly when i show up to the ballpark on friday the 22nd amongst 20,000 of my closest friends wearing pinstripes and the reality sets in that we're just not there yet. I think that the Yankee series is going to be difficult. Yep. I think it's possible that, that, you know, we don't win that series and it's going to be a real gut punch to go from such highs emotionally of really enjoying Orioles baseball for a few weeks to getting excited after missing the club, you know, missing the club over All-Star break. Yep. All-Star breaks are supposed to be a respite from the losing. Yep. I can't wait for the Orioles to come home so I can welcome them back, and I'm going to have to go back to that. Yeah. That series is going to be ugly. Yeah, so my ugly is going to go to the off-field issues. And again... We haven't talked about it so far during the bevies, but we've got to come back to the whole issue that came up earlier this season, specifically with the Angelos feuding that it continues to go on. I'm not saying in any way that, you know, something is going to happen. I don't believe in the hype that, you know, there is any even consideration to move to Nashville. I don't believe the lawsuit whatsoever. However, the fact of the matter is, you know, you have to look at the Angelos infighting as a family you have to look at the current issues that surround Masson as it relates to uh, financial solvency, as it were, in terms of the fee structure that they're going to have to pay the Nationals. And a part of us as Orioles fans does have to get slightly concerned of what does the future hold and who is going to be running the organization in the years to come. And again, as much as there's a lot of excitement on the precipice, me as an Orioles fan gets concerned when you see these kind of things pop up because it says to you, you're so close, you're so close. And then it blows up in your face at the very end. We've already seen that with Grayson Rodriguez, as we already covered in the ugly sector. The last thing I would want to see is us going into this off season with ownership being an uncertainty, financial matters being an uncertainty due to ownership being up in the air and the Orioles not being able to invest accordingly. Um, when, the time is right. 
The other thing about it is just with so many things going right for the organization, you know, the baseball operations team for once having the things that they need to do the things right, seeming to be competent for the play on the field to finally be entertaining, to have the business aspect of the organization in such either in such disarray or the whispers being there is just demoralizing. Yeah. So that's our good, bad, and the ugly for this halfway point of 2022. Once again, here are Jake and Scott. Well, listeners, we've reached the end of yet another Bevy's Award program. You've done this 10 times with us, and we appreciate it. As always, we'd like to thank you, the listener. This project simply wouldn't work without you. We've been humbled and appreciative that so many of you spend an hour a week with us celebrating or commiserating over the Baltimore Orioles. And thanks to all of those who've reached out to us over the years. We've met so many amazing people through this podcast, both virtually and in person. Now more than ever, people, we're, we're in this together. Um, so don't be a stranger. Come say hi. Um, we're not that scary. We may be annoying, but we're not that scary. We'd also like to take a moment to thank our wives, the Baseball Widows, Carrie, Sarah. Thank you so much for being so tolerant, indulgent of this whole podcast thing. Sure, maybe they knew what they were getting into when they were marrying us, but still, um, they're nicer about it that they ha- than they have to be about this whole situation. Thank you to the many people who make Bird's Eye View possible. Our logo is the work of the phenomenal guys over at OBP Apparel. Our theme song, Watching the Orioles, is by Songs from the Moon. The interstitial music you hear most weeks is No Robots by Black Dog Prowl and Mania by the last year. And as always, we want to extend a special thanks to the voice of the bevies, Jovial Jay Shepard. And that'll do it. Thanks again for listening to the 10th annual Bevy Awards. We look forward to disappointing you again next season. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I'll bid you a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. Thank you for listening to the 10th Annual Bevy Awards. For more lack of insight and baseless opinion, subscribe to the Bird's Eye View podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. New episodes drop weekly during the season and monthly in the off-season. Get social with Bird's Eye View on Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, and Instagram, but the best place to get a hold of them is on Twitter, where they tweet at Bird's Eye View Ball. That's Bird's Eye View B-A-L. Once again, for the Bird's Eye View podcast, this has been Jovial J, where you can find all of my podcasts and written material at RetroZap.com. Or should you want to find out more about Marvel Cinematic Universe filming locations, check out mculocationscout.com. See you next year, everybody. still here? 
It's over. Go home. Go.